Well, happy Aloha Friday. It is November 20th here on Spotlight Hawaii on the platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. I'm Ryan Kalei-Suji, joined by Yanji Denise, and we want to thank all of you for tuning in to this conversation. Again, we want to encourage all of you to share this video and to add in your comments today. We, Yanji, we have a guest that always gets a, a lot of comments and a lot of questions and interaction. That's right, and that's because he's leading so much of the state's response to the coronavirus pandemic, of course, to the Safe Travels Program and the vaccine rollout, among other things, and that is uh, Dr. and Lieutenant Governor Josh Green. He's joining us this morning. We're so glad that he's with us. Thank you so much for being here. Um, we want to start off with the announcement that is the lead story in the paper today, and that is the new protocols for uh, visitors when they come to Hawaii, now having to have that proof of a negative COVID test to bypass the quarantine. What brought about that decision? Great question. Uh, thanks for having me again. Uh, the decision was made because there had been a handful of cases, about 40, that had uh, resulted from people not having their test uh, uh result before they traveled and then when they landed it was came up positive so uh now they're sitting in some airport in hawaii with a positive result after being on a plane with with other individuals and they have to now isolate for 10 days and so that was creating quite a lot of problems and concern and with the with the COVID rate surging on the mainland it uh it stands to reason that that some changes would be made so the governor made the decision uh to tighten up the program Big surge on the mainland. We want to keep it low here. We're the lowest in the country now for a good reason. We'll talk about that, I'm sure. So this just is even tighter than before. It will create challenges, no doubt, for people to get a test and get that result in time. I can give some some ways to, to make that happen for people, some advice. But uh, the mayors uh, were very, you know, they were lobbying for that change and, and the decision was made to do it. So you have to have your result before you depart. And if people do have a little difficulty with that result in hand, uploading it, we, you know, we can handle that with them. But you have to have the result before you depart for Hawaii. Let's talk a little bit about those cases, those 40 or so that were positive upon arrival and got that, that results after they got here. What happens to those individuals when they arrive here? Uh, obviously, uh, they have to be put in quarantine. Is that, are they individuals that the state then monitors? And for those numbers, do they add to the statewide count or do they count towards the state that they're coming from? Great questions. Okay, so when they land here, they have to go into 10-day isolation. They're asymptomatic, all of them. And so they go into the standard 10-day isolation for being positive for COVID. Their close contacts have to do 14 days of quarantine. That usually means they're family members. They are monitored. If the test was done on another state's dime or in another state, it goes on their count. We do not they're not citizens of here. They don't count to us, toward us. But if they are a resident returning uh, under that circumstance, no matter where you are, it gets counted. So about a third of all the people uh, traveling right now have been our own returning residents, the other two thirds travelers. So it would fall into the appropriate category that way. Uh, then they are followed and followed up on very closely by our Department of Health. We immediately do contact trace them uh, Emily Roberson's program at uh, at DOH, which has really been going great lately. She's, she's really tuned things up quite a lot. Uh, they will make sure that individual is staying in their isolation and their family members are being checked on that they don't develop symptoms. So it's a big process. It's one of the other reasons. It, it really is very labor intensive for a small group of people. And that's why we want people to get their test in advance. Also, we don't want people flying on planes, even though they appear to be safe based on the data. We don't want them flying for six hours from the West Coast or 10 hours from the East Coast on that direct flight. 
when it's you know when it's up and running as positive COVID cases. Uh, so that was the genesis of the policy. I do think that it's a dynamic system, right? So what people are worried about right now, as far as travel goes, is well, if there's a lot of cases of COVID on the mainland and there's a lot of testing going on, will we be able to, you know, will we be able to uh, actually find tests and get the result within three days? So if people can't, then they will not uh, travel, I would assume. If they can't get the test and they are returning residents, like me the other day, although I was COVID positive, so I have, a, I have to go through the exemption process. But if if you are flying back as a returning resident and you simply can't get that test, you'll have 14 days of quarantine. And believe me, I know that it's onerous. I know that it's tough. But what we are trying to achieve is getting through these next two months until we get to the vaccination with very low COVID rates. And you, that's the trade-off. Are you worried that this will, you know, deter people from coming here? It's already difficult, not, not difficult, but it is a process to come here um, to have to get a test at all. Are you know, what kind of an impact do you think this is going to have on folks who just say, you know what, it's just too hard. I'm not going to come. Am I worried? Uh, I wouldn't use the word worried in this case. I would just use the word aware. Um, certainly not trying to correct you, Kenji. I'm, I'm trying to, Yenji, I'm trying to say it, it's a, it's just a reality, right? So many cases and we're being mindful that we don't overshoot with travel. You, you notice that we've added um, tourism from Japan and Canada, but what we've done is we've set up the system right off the bat. We've learned lessons from the past. All of those individuals will have to have their tests done by partners that are partnered with the airlines and have it fully uploaded before they come and check that they don't have any symptoms. So they end up being a very tight, kind of hermetically sealed group traveling here, so extremely low risk. We don't have that benefit from the mainland United States because we don't have those kind of relationships where we can just tell like a country you have to do it this way. I do think it will decrease our numbers somewhat, but we're not trying to chase high numbers. We're trying to have enough open economy to survive. We're trying to make it possible so that our returning residents and loved ones can come and be here appropriately. And there may, in the, in the era of COVID, require some quarantine. Now, the uh, recommendation I would give to people is if they go to our trusted partners, many of them offer a same-day test, which is the Abbott ID Now test. That's a nucleic acid amplification test. It's the PCR test. And that test itself uh, is like ready in 15 minutes. And so you get your result right then. So making an appointment and getting that point of care test that is the qualified test is very beneficial to us. And I think that that's what I would do if I were traveling to Hawaii, because if you can't get the appointment, can't get the result, okay, then just defer your time. If you're coming home, if you're coming home, again, you want to have that test. But if you're home, you'll be able to survive the 14-day quarantine. It may not be pleasant, but at least you'll be in your house and you'll work with your job to, you know, to make the accommodation. We also added a lot of trusted partners. This, that was strategic, okay? We added the additional, I think it was 11 trusted partners, taking us up to 28 for Trans-Pacific Travel, so that there's a lot more ways for people to get tests from some of these other companies. It's, uh, again, it's not easy, but it's not easy doing anything, I can attest, uh, when you have a, an international COVID crisis. The good news is if we get through these eight weeks, get past Thanksgiving without too much of a surge, get through Christmas, uh, then the vaccinations will have begun for our, for our most vulnerable communities, especially first responders and Kupuna. 
And I'll feel a little bit of a sense of relief. I'll feel better once everybody gets their option or opportunity to vaccinate. But we start seeing light at the end of the tunnel. And so I don't want to overdo tourism before that. We want to bring in a question here, uh, Sherilyn, asking, you mentioned that you went through the exemption process because you had COVID. Is there an option for mainland travel travelers? If so, what is the process for those who have had COVID and recovered? Uh, is that something that is considered in this process of people coming in for those who have had it and have tested positive in the past? Yes, it's for anyone. So they go through the website, the hawaiicovid19.com, into the travel section, and you apply. You demonstrate that you had COVID. I think they have you upload your uh, your doctor's note and, and the date that you had your test. And if you have been more than 10 days out and released by the Department of Health in your in your state, then you're allowed to travel because you are functionally immune at that point. You are deemed immune by the CDC and departments of health all across the country. So you're not going to have COVID at that point. And that's like I'm helping right now. There was a, a young traveler that was literally right at the end of their COVID experience. They never had any symptoms, but they tested positive about 12 days ago, I believe. And so they were able to travel because they were no longer, well, they were never symptomatic. They were no longer contagious based on the definitions of COVID. And they were following all the protocols, mask wearing and so on. So they went through that exemption process and others can too. The reason you, I think you're asking that question and that, that caller did is because obviously you can't tell people you can never travel again if you've had COVID because you will test positive with residual viral particles for about two to three months at least. So we don't recommend people get a second test after they've already been positive. Um, Betty is asking for some clarification on that test that you mentioned. She says, where can you get the test that results are available in 15 minutes? Is that in Los Angeles? Uh, it's in most places. I know that the CVSs and I believe Walgreens were using the Abbott ID now. People should, when they go to the website, they should check to see what tests are being offered. And they want to get a rapid uh, nucleic acid amplification test, the rapid uh, PCR. If they get that, they will walk out of there with their results or they'll get them within an hour as they process them. And that's really nice to have. I mean, if you can have that paper that says, you know, negative result, your name and everything, uh, they will send you an email, of course, too. Then you're in the clear. You don't have to wait and worry that uh, you might be you know, taking that two, two and a half, three day uh, time frame to get the test. And obviously with the new rule, everybody's going to want to know that they have their test result. With that new rule, does that apply to neighbor island travel as well? So for those who are maybe living on Oahu trying to go to the neighbor island, if they don't have their results by the time they get, say, to Kona or to Maui, uh, but they get it a day later, can they still upload that and then bypass quarantine? Yes. Yeah, this is just for Trans-Pacific travel as of now. In time, we probably ought to have ought to clarify that. And I, I always, my general approach is if we can simplify, we should. It's good if we can. Uh, but this is just for Trans-Pacific travel. Uh, one thing that is also making headlines today is what appears to be uh, a little bit of conflict between uh, Mayor Kirk Caldwell and the state when it comes to the surveillance testing that's going on, the secondary surveillance testing. Uh, the mayor had a press conference yesterday. He was somewhat critical, saying that uh, the testing has not reached the percentages that he had uh, been promised. Can you respond to that? Sure. You know, I'm not going to get into the mud with um, Mr. Caldwell. I, I just really have decided to rise above that. But let me make a few things clear. Hawaii is the only state that's doing safe travels uh, in a comprehensive way, although now others are starting to emulate us with additional testing. So we were the first to do it. We have had our rates be extremely low and we have the lowest rate of COVID in the whole country, okay? So right out of the gate, 
he's getting data every day, total number of cases, uh, positivity rate, hospitalization rate, everything. Then number two, he complained that he hadn't gotten his results. Well, unfortunately, the mayor was had a fundraiser for his campaigns during the meeting that was the leadership meeting when I gave those results the first time. So it's unfortunate for him that he skipped the meeting, but that's okay. I don't want to take on the complaints, though, because a lot of people are working very hard. We have over 17,000 tests and 27 positives. It shows that it's extremely low rate. Plus, we have the epi curve. I, this is the epi curve, which everybody in the state can see. See that little blue at the bottom? That's travel-related cases. See the red, all the other cases, which we do this every single day. We up, upload this. That's the cases from community spread. So there's a ton of data. And then on top of it, finally, you know, the other mayors are testing. I don't know why he's not. That's his prerogative, I guess. But um, Mayor, Mayor Kim is doing a ton of testing. There's testing in Maui. That's departure testing. Kauai, of course, tries to keep their numbers very close to zero. They're doing post-tests. So, and then we did 17,000 tests. So I, I think it's political, but I don't want to say anything negative because I know he's working hard in other ways. Um, maybe the stress has gotten to people, but these kind of fights are silly because really we should be talking about mask wearing. The, the mask wearing rates, are where you will stop the spread. 86% for Hawaii County, 85% for Maui, 83% for Honolulu, and 76% for Kauai. If we get those rates over 90 and even better and over 95%, all of these questions go out the window. So, you know, I was in a meeting where they fought and fought and fought over getting more results from extra tests, and we never even mentioned mask wearing. And so it gets in people's minds that they focus on one thing and Unfortunately, that's not really where we should be on COVID. So if we can just sort of, just to kind of give context of, to this conversation about the surveillance testing and, and what it was intended to do, because uh, you know, as, as we rolled out this safe travel program, the, the intent of the surveillance program was to supplement what was happening with the pre-travel testing that was happening. Uh, and and you, know, you had gone on and talked with Dr. Fauci about this surveillance program and the testing and how this would help to, uh, just as another, sort of way to kind of test people as they come in. What was sort of the expectation behind the surveillance testing? Because as the mayor is saying, uh, what was promised to the, them were to the city was that it would be done three to four days after arrival, not upon the original arrival. So what was sort of the, I guess, if you can kind of go back and explain the surveillance testing and how this is all, all working. Well, actually that was one thing. I, I did get wind of the mayor's press conference. He just actually wrong. He he he, he, um, he made some, some comments that were so wrong it's it's embarrassing actually the the test on oahu have been on day three and four those are the data we have he just likes to um he just likes to make personal attacks that's all it's just a fact he doesn't he doesn't realize he was speaking erroneously about things the tests on big island have been same day because that's what mayor kim's program is set up and it's very valuable what does the same day test tell you a day of arrival test. It tells you what happened to someone five to seven days beforehand. And then it tells you they were negative at that point. So they get their pre-arrival test three days before they travel. They don't get it just the day before because it, you have to always allow for a couple of days to get your result, as we talked about earlier. And then there's that follow-up test. So it is a additional safeguard. I don't promise things to mayors. What I do is I build a system for the state of Hawaii to make sure that we're safe. And that's why I'm very proud to, to report that we have the lowest rates in the, in the country. 
And also Dr. Fauci was very clear. He supported, supported surveillance testing. There's no magic way to do surveillance testing. Someone could say it's best to do it on day four. The departure surveillance testing they're doing on Maui is at day six, which is also very good surveillance because it tells you what is going on in the breadth of time from when they begin uh, their trip to the end. Surveillance testing in general, which the science team, Dr. DeWolf Miller, will assess at the end of a study, which is how you actually do science. You don't do science day to day, giving updates and then assessments. That's what you do for our, for our daily reports when we report the number of cases per day, the positivity rate and so on. So that, that's a fundamental misunderstanding of science. But I don't really want to have this argument with um, with Mayor Caldwell. He's he's in the um, the end game of his term. I've already begun to brief the mayor's elect about the programs. He needs to focus on these next two months and what's safe, but we have the safest, best numbers in the country, and there's nothing to prevent him, and there never was, from doing extra testing if he'd like. He's got millions and millions of dollars of CARES money, which I think he's begun to invest in at the airport. You know, he he's welcome to do testing, and it would be a welcome addition to what we've done. But when I tell you that there's 27 positives out of over 17,000 tests, which is 0.16%, I believe, that's good news. You, you can't do better than that. I mean, there's no way. And it's not travel testing. So really, it's just political. And I, care, I don't really care to have political discussions um, on this kind of venue. I actually am trying to be a doctor and make sure people don't die of COVID. Instead, I do tend to end up spending a lot of time whenever he has some kind of um, fit. And that's not as productive, you know. Well, let's move, let's move on to Dennis's question at 1044. He says, if we're doing so good, why can't we open the schools? I know that, you know, we've talked about this before. You're a dad. I, I, my understanding is that you have one child in person and one child distance learning. So you feel the pain of the community on this one. What is the outlook for schools? Um, if we are the best in the country, uh, when can kids actually get it back into the I really the think classroom? the Department of Education is trying to open up for right after the holidays. I mean, I think that that's their goal. Can it be done? Yeah, it can be done. It will be risk, but not severe risk. My child, like I said, my older one, as you know, Maya is already in school and has been for, I think, a month. And it's been, it's been virtually perfect, knock wood. They do a lot of tests. They do a lot of tracing, and they're, they're safe. Sam, who's in a charter school, we would love to get him back, too. And I feel safe about it, especially if children are old enough to mask up. That's, that's pretty important. It will prevent a lot of spread. Having the lowest rate in the country will help, but it's week by week. We're slogging through this because if you were able to set aside any concern about what's going on outside of Hawaii, outside of, the, outside of our uh, state boundaries, it would be super easy to open up. But we know that we are in a reality that's global, and there's always going to be some mixed, uh, both opinions about what's safe and also as people travel here, whether that's an extra risk. These are just realities, but we are safe enough as long as the teachers themselves feel comfortable and the parents feel comfortable sending their child to have some kids in school. It's a, it's a family by family decision, honestly. I want to talk a little bit about the way in which we're getting the results these days. We know that there is a little bit of a lag because of uh, these two departments, HIEMA and the Department of Health that are now responsible for reporting these numbers. Can you explain a little bit about that process and if we can get a little, if that, if we will eventually get back to getting more accurate results uh, that justify the daily count uh, on the day that, you know, we're getting these numbers released? 
you know, if I was going to side with anyone, I would side with you on this one. I, I really am very frustrated that I have to wait a day just like anybody else or you're waiting a day. We do get a little bit of extra update in the morning just for the executive team, but we don't get that full all-in update like we used to at 8 in the morning. There's a lot of uh, pressure on the Department of Health to add a lot of data. We, you know, If you think back to where we were in March and April, we really only were tracking a few pieces of data. And now we're tracking, gosh, I mean, so many examples, not just the case count per day, the last 14 days, the hospital numbers, fatalities. But now we're also tracking things like surveillance, the positivity rate, the rate at which we're contact tracing, how many people get contract, contact traced within 24 hours. We're looking at where the clusters are. So by adding and adding and adding, what we've done is, as a result of our desire to have so much more information, it's that much more work without more personnel. And so it's essentially taking them that full day to make sure all the data is streamlined and pretty accurate. It's, but it's frustrating just from, you know, I, as the standpoint of a guy who likes to have numbers and likes to share them, which is where I am, I would sure love to have those in real time. We, we don't have infinite capacity. And the truth is, if I'm really trying to be honest with you here, the daily number is not that important. It's the trend that's important. If yesterday we had an extra 40 cases, which is, would be terrible, okay? That's not the case. Today, the numbers is pretty modest. Um, but if, if yesterday to today we had an uptick of 30 and then tomorrow we had 60 less, it's better to see what's going on for the whole week and where we are as a trend. That's really what matters. The only time it would be important to know the exact number at that moment is if it's actually going to affect our capacity to care for people. Like if suddenly the ventilator capacity was not adequate or suddenly a hospital had to go on divert because they had so many patients. So I think what happened was we got in a way we got just accustomed to having those numbers right quick and it's it's a great thing to have but more importantly we should look at the breadth of where we are and uh i'll keep pushing a little i nudge them a little bit to get those numbers because i like them uh but that's that's probably unfair of me <laughs> um, let's talk about vaccines because we've got some great, you know, great headlines uh, on a national and international front when it comes to vaccine development, Pfizer, Moderna, uh, these companies basically saying they are ready to start to roll these out. Um, you, as we noted at the top, are in charge of the vaccine rollout here in Hawaii. You know, that news, how does that trickle down to us and, and what are our expectations when it comes to vaccines and availability for our community? Well, it's very good news. Uh, they're going for emergency use authorization now for the Pfizer vaccine right now as we speak. We are prepared to accept vaccinations from the federal government as soon as they're fully approved. And we want them. We have a plan. It's a gigantic plan with a huge number of people. And uh, I'm a part of the lead team, but it's a lot of people that are doing great work. They deserve the credit, really. Haima and Department of Health. And then there's a lot of uh, private physicians also that are helping us to vet this stuff. It means that we will get about 44,000 people vaccinated, it looks like, in the first tranche. Uh, that's 88,000 vaccination doses, but about 44,000 people because two doses for full vaccination. It will be first responders and healthcare providers and most vulnerable Kapuna in the first batch. And then we go on to the second stage when we get hundreds of thousands of doses where we go into all the individuals in the state, hopefully, that have chronic conditions or who are also more vulnerable, maybe have immune compromise, 
but that goes into the largest number of people. And then the third group is those who are very healthy and younger who, you know, are not particularly vulnerable to COVID-19. And so that's how we'll roll it out. My expectation is that the first set of vaccinations will go mostly directly to the hospitals where they have the infrastructure to, to work with us to give them. For instance, Queens could ask for 4,000 vaccinations. White Pacific Health could ask for 4,000. Uh, Castle may ask for 2,000 and so on based on the numbers of healthcare providers they have, nursing facilities and what have you. And they already have staff that can give those vaccinations. So we would do that. And then the most vulnerable people, especially in individuals that are living, who are older and living in institutional settings like long-term care and so on, where if you have an outbreak, as we saw tragically on Big Island, you could have a lot of fatalities. So that's how we do it. If we still have vaccination left over after we've gone through the, the tier A, you know, uh, 1A and 1B, and so we go into tier two, if we still have extra vaccination for those 44,000 people, we will just keep on going down and we will make it available as fast as possible. The Pfizer one requires very low temperature, which is more challenging. The Moderna, less so. We think that very likely the rural communities in the country may benefit from using the Moderna. They have the same success rate, so it's not really a big deal. Uh, and we'll take anything we can get as long as it's safe. And, and what's the actual timeline? When, what do you think the rule? I know it's hard to say because FDA hasn't actually approved it, but um, you know, are we talking the end of next year? Or are we talking right at the beginning? Like, what are we actually well, looking sooner. at? Sorry for not being clear. We hope to be vaccinating people in December. And that is somewhat contingent on when they get approved. But as soon as they get approved, the, the uh, mass manufacturing ramps up immediately. And then it's shipping and, and distribution. But we hope that in this calendar year, we're already vaccinating people, especially in this, the first shot for this first high-risk group. And then three weeks later, they'll complete their vaccination series. And then we're hopeful that sometime in the spring and that's a little harder to predict, but I'm hoping, hoping that like March, April, May, we're doing the mass vaccination for all other risk individuals, high risk individuals. So that when we come to the end of the spring, not only have we seen our case counts go lower and that our travels program has worked and so on, but also that a large hunk of our society has gotten immunity. And then we won't be worried quite so much about travel or, uh, small outbreaks we'll still have to be sensible about things we'll still have to mask and we'll still have to uh you know be mindful of these rules but for example if you've had a vaccination at that point you won't have inter-island travel rules right if you've had a vaccination or covid you won't have to worry about travel from the mainland and a pretest. and you also when you go back to work won't have to worry about spreading it to your fellow co-workers say at a nursing home or at the hospital or at a school so everything starts getting easier as we develop immunity. That's the hope. You know, as we sort of wrap things up here, we know that a concern is the Thanksgiving holiday and people gathering in uh, large clusters. We are seeing the numbers that we're seeing on the mainland really skyrocket and what you know, leaders are saying on the mainland as well as the CDC. Uh, what is your message as sort of we close out here to those uh, as we head on into this Thanksgiving week next week? Thank you for asking. I would say, please just have your Thanksgiving with your household. That's the safest thing to do. If you go outside of your household at all, only um, consider doing it with people that are in your traditional bubble, that you're with uh, routinely, 
So you're not adding risk. That's the best thing that you can do. I know that people are inclined to have large Thanksgiving dinners. I, you know, it's really my favorite holiday also. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's sad to miss people, but let's get through this holiday season healthy so that we can celebrate the next one. And I think just small gatherings within the rules is the most um, appropriate advice. If, however, if, however, because I know we're just talking reality here, if people decide to have it with another cluster of their family here or there, you really would be uh, well advised to wear a mask if you're with them or near them. And then when you're having your meal, do the full six foot separation at least while you're eating because you don't want to mingle your risk and you, you don't want to see one bubble and another and another come together and burst. Um, that's that's kind of the risk that we face. So I don't want to see a big surge after Thanksgiving and then that will make for a very good Christmas. Approach it probably the same way, being very safe, opening our presents, maybe with a little bit of uh, FaceTime and Zoom, and then we'll be vaccinating people. And then when we will vaccinate our kapuna and our grandparents, then they can be with us and then we can all be together. I think that's the, the most sound advice I can offer. People have to search their own heart and decide what risk they're going to take. Uh, but that's how we'll approach it. Okay, well, thank you so much for spending your Aloha Friday with us, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green. And we're lucky enough that uh, the Lieutenant Governor has agreed to join us next Friday. So we'll check back with you in a week. Great. Have, have a safe and happy Thanksgiving. And I'll see you after that. Now, food. All right. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Well, Ryan, uh, giving us a lot of hope, I don't know about you, but to hear that we could be getting people vaccinated, those frontline workers, as early as next month um, really just seems like you know, what so, man, so many of us have been waiting for. They talk about a light at the end of the tunnel, and that really feels like one right now. So, you know, we talked about a lot of different things, including the, the new quarantine protocol, but really the vaccine timeline that he laid out um, is very encouraging. Yeah, that's right. And of course, some clarity on the rule, of course, that was passed yesterday about the safe travel program and making sure that those testing, um, those test results are received before people get on planes to come to here to Hawaii. Him uh, saying the reason why and justifying why that decision was made and also clarifying that, that that rule does not apply to those who are traveling between the neighbor islands. And so uh, we did see a few questions that came in later in the broadcast that were asking those specific questions, but we encourage you to go back to see the full details and scope of what he uh, sort of outlined with this new ruling uh, for this safe travels program. Yeah, and also some tension you heard there between Mayor Kirk Caldwell and the press conference that he had yesterday, um, sort of airing his, uh, you know, grievances, if you will, about the surveillance testing that has or has not happened. Uh, the lieutenant governor pushing back on that and saying that the mayor is welcome to do all the testing that he wants uh, with the CARES money that he has. Next week on Monday, we are going to be talking with Mayor-elect Blangiardi, who will be taking on those responsibilities. And we'll be asking him if he's going to keep the tiered system in place, if he wants more secondary testing and sort of his outlook. We know that the governor and the lieutenant governor and uh, the current mayor have been meeting uh, with Blangiardi and his, you know, his whole team. So we'll be very interested to hear from the mayor-elect about what his expectations and plans are. That's right. It's, it's definitely a time of transition we're seeing that uh, throughout the country, but also here locally with uh, this, these new leaders kind of coming into place during a time uh, like this with the pandemic. So there's a lot of adjustment that will have to be made. A lot of people are used to hearing Mayor Kirk Caldwell and his reports and his updates that, as you said, will change. And so uh, excited to talk to the mayor-elect Blangi Blangiardi about his plans 
moving forward uh, as we move through this COVID-19 pandemic in 2021. Uh, we thank all of you for coming uh, and watching and being a part of this conversation. Always a lot of comments and questions for the Lieutenant Governor. Again, he will be back here on Friday, on Black Friday, uh, to try to pour more conversations. But until next week, Monday, we uh, hope that you all have a safe weekend and we'll see you right back here at 1030 on Monday. Aloha. Aloha.